Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers. Today, my guest is Billy Bond of Permer Pasture Farms in North Carolina. From hands-on workshops to online education, Billy and his family share their knowledge and love for permaculture. When he's not on their farm, he is helping transform damaged and destroyed landscapes into abundant permaculture farms. Billy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Michael. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Share a little bit about how you got started. Yeah, like so many other people that get into this space and to this, uh, what Joel Salatin calls the homesteading tsunami out here. Uh, for me, this tsunami began more than 20 years ago when, oh, good night, man. You find yourself into this place that you think is the American dream. You've been told your whole life was the American dream. And then you come to the real realization that it's actually a nightmare if you do it the way they tell you. Mm. And, you know, saddled with debt, all those things. And, um, and also in this, what I thought was a, a lifelong frustration of never really finding out where I thought I was meant, the work that I thought I was meant to do, as opposed to doing the job that I was as a journeyman electrician and as a uh, talk radio host at the time and one of the biggest uh, stations in Kansas City. And um, realizing, man, good night. This is no way to live. This is not, mm. this is not not sustainable, but just not regenerative. I mean, there's nothing about this being in this cog in this machine that is fulfilling. Even though I have those things everybody says you're supposed to have, and all of a sudden you feel happy. Well, that wasn't working for me or my wife. And so we decided right then and there, as you can in the United States of Amnesia, we decided to go ahead and change that trajectory. And so mm. that meant for us really doing a, a deep dive and an examination into the things that made us happy. And that initially led to Joel Salatin and a number of others. And my wife had come from a farming background. I did not, even though I grew up in something of a farming community. And I realized right then and there, as I started off with the little things and then it began more and more and more, I realized, good night. This is the work I should be doing. And when I realized it, I got to be honest with you. When I had that realization that this is what I should be doing with my life, and our tagline is, you know, permaculture is my passion. Well, once I realized that, I'm like, okay, every single thing I do is going to be directed at how to do this 100% of my time and do it for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So then back up a little bit. So you were a radio host. So how does it go from radio host to full-time homesteader? Yeah, so my regular day job, I was basically moonlighting as a filling guy at KMBZ Radio in Kansas City, and I was building something of a pretty good following there. Mm -hmm. But my day job was also working as a journeyman electrician, um, as a as an IBEW journeyman elect, a journeyman mm -hmm. wireman or electrician. So I was doing both, and I was realizing, okay, I'm in here doing this talk thing. I'm starting to get. I mean, I was realizing also in that talk game that it's not like everybody thinks there was this unbelievable competition and this uh, cutthroat nature of the whole business that was anything but where I wanted to be. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, this isn't wonderful. Yeah, I love the fact that I'm able to get my ideas out there 
But at the same time, I didn't like being told what I could or couldn't say. Well, conversely, on my regular day job, I'm out here working for other people. Mm. I like the creative nature of doing the kind of electric work I was doing. But also there's that part where you feel like you're a cog in the machine. You're doing essentially, I'll be honest with you, Michael, at the end of the day, I was playing hide and seek for three grand a week. And yeah. it wasn't fulfilling. I mean, I'm in here, you know, and I'm making money here, doing things there, hustling this and that. And at the end of the day, I didn't wake up in the morning thinking, okay, I really want to go in here and do this <laughs> in no way. Yeah. Was any of it fulfilling and, you know, deeply stirring to my blood. So I'm like, okay, what is that for me? And, um, you know, for years and years, I kind of halfway did it, but I can tell you the demarcation point that made me realize I could do it full time. And once again, it led right back to Joel Salatin. Um, there was one of the early Mother Earth news festivals. It may have been some other festival. And with all these other things we're saddled with when we grow up, I never really thought, okay, you know, I got to have this in place. I got to have that in place. But I can tell you the demarcation point is when I'm sitting at this festival and Joel Salatin's delivering his keynote speech. And then he says something during that speech that gave me the courage to give it all a shot. And the words were, if it's worth doing, then it's worth doing poorly at first. Mm -hmm. That gave me license to go after Moby Dick in a rowboat and take the tartar sauce with me and not even care whether or not if I failed along the way. So that's how I made that transition. It was like, okay, you know what? I have license to fail. Everything I've ever been told in my life and probably you and everyone else out there was like, if it's worth doing, then it's, you know, you do it perfectly. You know, you do it the best, but he gave me license to fail. And uh, from that day forward, there's been no looking back in any of this. I knew that, you know what? I'm going to fail and I'm going to fail while daring greatly. That's mm. exactly how I'm going to fail. We're all going to fail. But now he gave me license to do it because I'm hearing it from the very best there is. And so, bam, um, jumped in both feet. So that's how I made that transition. There wasn't the thing. Okay. If you want to know the real thing that said, okay, you got to make this happen was 2008, which seems to be like we're replaying right now. 2008, we had that big financial collapse. Mm -hmm. The only place on planet earth I was able to find a job was in third world countries. And it paid pretty decent, but at the same time, it's in third world countries. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, this American dream, it was right then and there. I knew, okay, well, yeah, this American dream is something of a nightmare. I'm about to lose everything we've worked for and the things that I'm going to lose, I don't really care about. So that's really where I said, okay, full steam ahead. If I ever get myself back on my feet again, I will never, ever, ever find myself in the position of where one minor loss or well for me it was a tragic loss of a job employment whatever the case may be i'm going to make myself so bulletproof with so many multiple streams of income that this is never going to happen to me and that's exactly what we've done mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit about your property and like your permaculture and like i mean would you consider it a farm you consider it a homestead how do you feel like that that goes forward Oh goodness. Yeah. That's, that's critical. Um, I consider it a farm. I consider okay. it a home. I consider it all of the above. Like in our podcast, the permaculture pimp cast, we talk about that. It's, it's all about permaculture preparedness and practical living. So what I've tried to do was take my military background overlay it. Okay. Let's just look at it this way. You have 
multiple modalities of education. So I have a trade education, mm -hmm. I have a college education, I have a farm education, and I have a military education. Well, how do I take all these things and put them into a business structure that works? How do I do that? How do I how do I put all these things? So to say that it's a farm or homestead or anything, I don't know that I can make that distinction. It's really all of the above. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take my military background as a U.S. Army sapper, and I'm going to overlay it with this permaculture design thing. Hmm. Mm -hmm. What about this preparedness background that I've acquired as well? How do I weave that into there? How do I take this radio background that I have, and how do I how do I weave it into this tapestry that I'm creating? And so that's exactly how we've gone about it. So what it was was first become competent as some of the most basic things, and you know how to raise animals without killing them. Okay, that's a really good start. How not to get too many things and, you know, do them all poorly. So it was basically, let's start with a little thing. First, I'm going to figure out how to raise chickens. Then I'm going to figure out how to raise these other things. Hmm. I don't really like the way that I'm dropping my stuff off at a processor and getting back somebody's animals. So how do I get an education as a butcher, which I ended up acquiring at the local pig in Kansas City. So in addition to the other things I was doing, all my spare time, I was working in a butcher shop for free to learn how to do these things at a very high level. So, okay, got that too. So I acquired all the skills I thought I'm going to need to get off and running on this. And then, of course, I find out, hmm, if I'm going to make a business in this, I probably want to have a little bit of background as a business person. So we pursued everything from real estate to you name it. And then all these different things wound up into a farm to where we make, I'll put it this way. Let me say it this way. We have multiple streams of income. We have, and some of which I'm not going to talk about here. And there's a strategic reason why I'm doing that because there's also this preparedness background. And also I can say things sometimes that might be a little controversial. So I don't have one single point of failure as I did back in 08. So we have a bone sauce business where we sell the world's best deer repellent. We're the only people on the planet that sell it, that I'm aware of, that, you know, sell exactly what it is. It's difficult to make, but we're the only people producing it. We're probably the number one, number two producer of comfrey in the planet. Okay. We, we make, um, we make, uh, we have multiple other streams of income, but here's the cool thing that I learned in 08 is that we don't have a single point of failure. So we have multiple businesses that each business in and of itself can support the entire farm and support us. But there's not a single point of failure. So let's say the country business goes out. Okay, well, that's fine. I got five more. They all have to collapse at the same time. It would have to be like a building that's brought down by a controlled demolition, okay? You can't just blow one column and the building comes down. And I'm using this example because that's really my background in the Army. That's part of what I did. Yes. So you hate, you need to hit every last bit of it simultaneously for the entire collapse to happen. So how do I structure my business like that? Well, that's really permaculture. We have multiple in permaculture. We set our businesses up as you do in permaculture. So there's not, we don't have a monocrop of, let's say apple trees. I got 15 different cultivars out there. So if one were wiped out, well, it doesn't wipe out all the apples, but you know, the same exact thing applies in our business thing. So we have multiple streams of income. We devise them over the year and we're building more all the time where we see money as a byproduct of just doing good work. So whether it's our butchery classes that we teach or whether it's some of the online courses that we teach or whether the meager um, income that we make from our YouTube channel or some of the other things, they all add up 
but there's not one single point of failure. So that's exactly the kind of business that we try to build. Mm. What what would you say for someone who's starting to get into the homesteading movement is important for them to think about as they get started? Oh, good night, man. I just I just addressed this. I was um I literally just got in today from a festival that was in Middle Tennessee called the Back to the Land Festival. And we were asked that very question. I can't even tell you how many different times. The number one thing we find, because we do consultations also, that's one that's another business that we have. And then the number one thing we see in consultations is that, especially with all the people getting into this space, is that they do too much too early, too quickly. They try to master too many things. They go out there, they get the ducks, they get the pigs, they get the cows, they do all this stuff, but they haven't even got fence. They don't even have, they don't even have perimeter fence on the property. And then it all goes to pot. And then they're like, good night, man. Maybe I'm just not cut out for this. That is the number one place in which people fail or they put the cart before the horse. It's poor. Um, we talk a lot in permaculture and a lot of what we teach in our YouTube channel is regarding zones. I probably talk about zones more than anyone else. Now, within permaculture, your house being, let's say, your zone zero, and then imagine concentric rings around it. Well, in zone one, you have a series of things that ought to be there. Zone two, zone three, four, five, and so on and so forth. You get it. Well, what we find out is another thing is where people are zoning the things on their property. They're putting their vegetable garden in let's say zone four, when it really ought to be in zone one, or they're putting their chickens in zone five when they and they're and they're losing chickens left and right when it really ought to be in zone two. It's the placement of things on a property that are making people realize, oh my goodness, I'm spending half my days doing my chores. Then we go out there, do a consultation, and say, you know what? If you were to rearrange things and put them in the right place, and the places where the chickens should have a functional relationship with, let's say, your garden or your orchard should not necessarily be the closest thing to the house because you don't interact with that every single day. It really ought to be the other things like your, your herb garden, you know, the things you need to look at every single day. So we're finding out that's a big point of failure. Another point, a big pitfall is we talk about access, water, and structures. People get out there and they decide to put in a structure, but you don't have a good clean source of water or you're worried about putting a road on the property, but you haven't yet considered how the water off that road should interact with the rest of the farm. So it's a lack of understanding the relationships that should exist between all these things, because we don't see any of it in a reductionistic worldview. We see this relationship between your road, your water, your structures, your, your gardens, all these things. Those are some of the biggest pitfalls we run into with people that are getting into this space, or they're so anxious uh, to quit their day job that they get out there, they jump into this and they're trying to get into a business. Let's say in my area, okay, I'm going to get into the egg uh, selling egg business. Well, what people are not realizing is that a lot of other people are in the egg laying business too. There's no differentiation between one place to the next. Um, a lot of farmers out there decide, okay, I'm going to put in a, let's say an apothecary line. I'm going to start this on and, or I'm going to do the soap business, but they're not considering how many other farms are doing the very same thing. So people are doing things that aren't necessarily different from the other farms or homesteaders around them. So they find themselves like unable to make sales because they're doing the very same thing that other people are doing. So 
there's going to have to be this level of creativity out there that makes you a little bit different from the people around you. So there, it's basically those, those are the big things that people are running into in terms of pitfalls that are getting into this. And they're easy problems to solve. You're just going to have to think outside the box just a little bit. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Now you wrote a book too. Tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah. Um, I co-wrote this book with a guy named Matt Hunley and he's, uh, and it, and it really makes sense to do this with him. He has a channel, it's a YouTube channel and also a business. He works full-time as a permaculture designer also. And he, his channel is farm for a living and it's on YouTube. And Matt has been a friend of mine. I literally saw him build his homestead. I mean, he is a musician in Nashville, doesn't have a whole lot of income. Neither does his wife. And what I witnessed them do with nothing more than scraps and I saw them do it in exactly the same way we did it early on. I'm like, good night, man. There's so many people getting into this space. They have no idea where to start. And a lot of them are young people, like the ones I met at this festival this weekend, who are like, good night, man. I don't know how to do any of this. I don't have any of this knowledge. How do I get started? I don't have any money. So Matt basically built his, built his, um, his place from the bottom up with scraps we did exactly the same thing when we started with scraps. We also feed all of our animals with scraps. So I'm like, okay, if I can have Matt handle this part of the book where he did far more than I did in terms of building three different properties completely from scraps, literally that he got from the dump and made some pretty impressive structures out of it. And then if I were to handle the side of the book where I'm explaining to people how we raise all of our egg layers for free. We raise all of our meat birds for free. We raise all of our pigs for 21 cents a pound. And I know people find that hard to believe, but we show you how we do it and how we raise all of our ruminants essentially for free. So all of our protein and all the things that we produce on the farm, and by the way, in our chicken systems, we're producing at the same time using a method called the chicken tractor on steroids, which we've done playlist after playlist over on our YouTube channel. But we also kind of give you the cliff notes in the book how we're able to do all of these things for absolutely free. So Matt hit it from one side of the book in terms of structures and stuff like that. And I hit it in terms of how to raise your animals for free. So for all of these people that are getting into this space and don't know exactly where to go, this book is not meant to be a magnum opus of all these things, all this knowledge that we've collected over the years. It's meant to give people it's, it's meant to make them think outside the box in terms of what is possible and what they have and what they can use. And then hopefully in their minds, remove them from this reductionistic thinking like, oh, I've got to go find a realtor. I've got to go out there and do this. This is the only way I can buy property. And then I explain in the book with Cliff Notes how I was able to buy property with nothing more than a handshake deal by going to Craigslist, knowing exactly the right questions to ask how to set these structures up or how to set these businesses up. I'm sorry, how to set these property deals up with almost no money in your pocket and to do all these things. And it's not pie in the sky stuff that we've never done before. So we've tried to make a very condensed booklet of just around a hundred pages, you know, nothing major to just kind of wet the beak of all the people that are getting into this. So that was exactly the book we tried to create. And I'm pretty proud of the way it turned out in terms of, being able to direct the, the new people getting into this space about all these different things that you might not have considered when you get into this space. So the barrier to entry 
was already kind of low if you knew these things, but now we're showing you that it's even lower and showing you that you don't need all these inputs. You don't have to go out there and build these things um, doing the conventional means. You can do all of this stuff with either scraps, and that's why we call the book Scrap Setting. You could do this with scraps and a little bit of know-how and elbow grease. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Now you have a, you put a lot of content out. What would you say is the best place for folks to follow you? Yeah, um, we have a bunch of different ways you can do that. We have a podcast called the Permaculture Pimp Cast. And so nobody gets offended. Understand that pimp is an acronym. It stands for permaculture is my passion. And it was a means because I'm a brown person. I'm like, okay, initially the, mean, the purpose of that was to reach out to the other non-traditional people that might want to consider getting into this space. So I said, okay, we need to have a language that speaks to them. So that's the idea on that one. We also have a YouTube channel and it's Perma Pastures Farm. I probably should have gotten something that isn't so much of a tongue twister. I wanted to call it um, a number of other things, but Perma Pastures Farm kind of stuck. And we, so we have a YouTube and a Rumble channel. You can even find us on Brighton over there. Um, and on these things, we basically, what I really think and what's going on in my head, we cover in the podcast or the pimp cast. Um, these things that I can't possibly say, we cover on the pimp cast. Um, we also have a Patreon where it covers the things that can't be covered. Maybe it doesn't make a whole YouTube video. So we cover a lot of important information over on Patreon or things that YouTube would never allow. Like, okay, um, how do we dispatch this animal that we're going to process? Well, YouTube is never going to allow that. So we have yeah. to put that all over on Patreon. Or let's say it's, you know, some really important stuff that doesn't make a whole video on YouTube. Well, that's on Patreon as well. So you can get through there for as little as a dollar. So we have that. Uh, we have, of course, the uh, the YouTube channel, which is largely a how-to channel. Um, there are times, I'll, I'll admit it, there are times where, you know, we engage in a little bit of comedy, we satire and a number of other things. But for the most part, without a doubt, it's definitely like, hey, here's how we do it. It, you may find another way of doing it, but this is how we do it. Whether it's trees, animal husbandry, you name it, that's covered on that's covered on YouTube. And then finally, of course, we have our website, which uh, we just had redone. And that's where we do a lot of our sales over there, whether it's some of the items I was telling you about a second ago, Michael, whether it's um, you're going to find out that we have things for sale that you're not going to find at most homesteaders' websites. So that's what we try to focus on, and that's what we're going to continue to focus on. And we're going to have a bunch of other things that come out, um, not only to, you know, add revenue, but also to add, add to the people out there that are thinking, okay, I got to do soap. I got to do this. I got to do that. Well, taking another page out of Joel's book, we're basically trying to find value added things from the farm that we create that other people could be inspired by and say, you know what, maybe I don't have to come out with the next soap line. Maybe I'll come out with something else, you know? So it's all of it's meant to be inspirational and to encourage others to evangelize this magnificent design science we call permaculture and to tell people, yeah, there are those of us out there that are making a living doing it. Mm. Corinna, one of the things that we know is that we can't sell to everybody, that we have an ideal customer and we need to make sure we message and talk to directly to them. Tell us a little bit more about what that means. Yeah, I feel like this is one of the most important tenets of marketing in general. Your product has an ideal customer. 
And that means that your product also has a customer that would not like your product. And so you have to be okay with repelling the people who wouldn't like it and attracting the ones that do. My marketing mentors have taught me that you want to focus on talking to the people that love your product. Instead of worrying about all the people that maybe don't know about you yet or aren't going to like it and you're trying to convince them. No, we're trying to talk to the people who we know love our product. Because when we do that, we're going to attract more of those kinds of clients. So the implication there is then we have to find out as much as possible about who our ideal client is. We have to do the customer research and get on the phone and call some of our best clients and ask them these questions to try and understand why are you loving me so much? Why do you buy my stuff? What do you like the most about me? What do you value? And when we know what those things are and we reference that and we talk about that in our social media and our email, and we talk directly to that kind of an audience, that's when we begin to attract more people just like them. Absolutely. If you want more farm marketing tips like this, check out my top rated weekly show, the My Digital Farmer podcast. I teach marketing concepts and interview lots of farmers to find out what's working and not working in farm marketing to help you find more customers, increase your sales, and build a strong brand for your farm. Look for the My Digital Farmer podcast on your favorite podcast app. So this Billy's bone sauce, talk to me a little bit how you use that. Is that for something you would spray on, let's say your garden or like your orchard? Oh yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. Let me let me answer that, but let me also kind of cover something in terms of business. Okay, so we say in permaculture also often that the problem is the solution. So in this particular case, okay, I told you a moment ago that I'm a butcher. Okay, mm -hmm. so that means I'm going to have bones and other things that I can't use, but I also had a problem because I'm a I'm an orchardist also. Just got finished, just came back from Canada a little while ago, working with Mr. Permaculture Orchard himself, Stefan Subkoviak. Um, so learned a whole lot from him. He's been a massive inspiration along with a number of others over the years. So I'm like, okay, when we were at our property in Texas, which we still own, we didn't really have a whole lot of deer pressure. So it was never, you know, certain things came easy to us. When we moved to the mountains of North Carolina, oh my goodness. We couldn't put anything in the ground that deer weren't destroying. I mean, absolutely ripping them right out of the ground. And I'm thinking, okay, well, how do I deal with this? Well, I remember seeing that there's a guy out there by the name of Sepp Holzer, and he talked about this stuff called bone salve. And he wrote about it in his book. And he tells you how to do it, but it is extremely difficult to get right. So I'll be honest with you, man. I'm sitting here thinking, how do I get this right? So I've worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. A lot of expense trying to figure out how to do this and how to do it in a way that's that I can replicate. I spent a lot of time. I mean, I'm talking hours and hours and hours, probably more than 100 hours and probably a 1,000 bucks on bones just trying to figure out how to make this stuff in a way that's consistent. It took a lot, and we came up with a proprietary way of making this stuff for no other reason than just to keep my orchard without the deer destroying it. That was the whole impetus, impetus in doing it. Well, then all of a sudden I got it figured out and I'm like, okay, I put it on my trees and I was very careful with it because I'm like, man, I hope it doesn't kill everything. So literally we planted trees and you take a paintbrush. And that's really how you apply this stuff. You can thin it out, which we don't recommend, but you basically take a paintbrush and you basically cover all of your tree up to any browsing height that a deer might want to mess with. Well, I asked my wife to go out here and do it. And not only did she put it on all the trees, she put it on all the posts surrounding the property. And good night, literally that day, 
we have not seen another flipping deer. Not only did it not, we had corridors where deer were supposed to go up, but we put it out so much that we didn't have any deer, no turkey, no nothing. I mean, not even Sasquatch is coming around this place. And mm. I'm like, if it works this good, I just kind of set it on the shelf, didn't think about it. Then all of my all of a sudden, my friends down at Deep South Homestead were doing videos about how this, how the deer were just decimating their stuff. So as a as a courtesy, I just said, Hey, I mailed some down to them. I said, give this stuff a shot. It's worked great for us. Tell me how it works for you. Next thing I know, they're doing videos about this stuff. And now everybody's wanting it. And I'm like, good night, man. They're talking about how well it's working for them. Ding, 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 ding. I might have a business opportunity here. Because if I got this problem, surely others have it. So all of a sudden, I start figuring out ways to be able to produce this stuff. But it is so incredibly difficult to work. So I had to go back to the R&D thing. And I'm thinking, okay, I didn't invent bone sauce. They've been using it in Austria for a thousand years. What I did do is make it stronger, make it more concentrated, put everything in it. And the only thing proprietary in this stuff, because essentially it's bones, water, heat, time, and technique. That's what it takes to make this stuff. But I did invent the proprietary technique because one wrong move in this stuff, you either burn up the product or it isn't cooked long enough. So I invented that process. And that's the only thing I keep secret is how I make it. Now, if anybody else wants to make it, you're welcome to go give it a shot. But we made it probably three times stronger. And we put all the stuff in it. And it's basically early on, we're finding out that when you, his claims were, is that when you put this on your tree, they won't mess with it for 20 years, which is a pretty high claim. Mm. And so all the trees we put it on, not one of them had been messed with for the three years we've been using it. And a lot of other people have had a lot of great success with it. So I'm thinking, okay, nobody, everybody else has had information, had this same information, but I'm the only one to put in the work to figure out how to make it and then still how to make it into a business. So we're the other people. Uh, we started giving it away at first and asking people to give it a shot because obviously you can't call it science unless it's you know replicated. So we've had a great number of people out there that have given this stuff a shot and they've used it in ways that it wasn't designed. So they do put it around their uh, raised beds in their gardens. Um, in our case, the rabbits don't mess with anything. The deer don't mess with anything. And then other people have had great success with it. Some people say it hasn't worked at all for them. Mm -hmm. But I will say that there is not anything you're going to find on the shelf that is anywhere in the galaxy of producing the results we have. You can put the soap out there. We've tried it all. You name it. Urine, soap, all those things go away. This is the only thing that has worked non-stop and long-term in terms of um, getting rid of the deer or keeping them at bay at least long enough to where your trees can actually get a foothold. So that has proven to be, I, I'll be honest with you, Michael, I can't make it fast enough. In fact, we're sold out at the present moment. Um, as soon as I make it, people are buying it. And I've just not been able to scale this stuff because any other time that I've tried to do it, the quality isn't there. So I'm just going to have to continue to make this stuff in small batches and we'll go from there. But that's that's honestly one of our businesses. Mm, very interesting. Talk to us a little about, you know, when you when you first started your property, if you could do it over again, what things would you do differently? This might surprise you. Um, but then again, it may not. Um, if the most colossal mistakes we made, and I've been very open about this, is bringing people on board that didn't have the same dream. 
just because they're family doesn't necessarily make them good for you. And so we made colossal mistakes. I lost thousands and thousands of dollars bringing family on board, thinking that if I kind of bring them along, they would see the beauty and the benefit of this. Only to find out that, no, they're not really there on the front end. They're not helping to raise any of this stuff. They're not helping to do any of the maintenance. But just like that Snoop Dogg song where he says, I got me some Seagram's gin. Everybody got the cups, but they ain't chipped in. And then harvest rolls around and then bam, everybody shows up. <laughs> and they show mm. up. They're like, oh, where's my part of the chickens? Or, oh, I know you just processed five pigs, but I got this cousin down the road. Now, that's not going to be for everybody out there, but I made that mistake the first time. And then like a complete dummy, I did it the second time. And then lost thousands and thousands and lost the land, lost everything. I mean, literally had to go back on my tools early on as an electrician, literally had to go back to work with nothing more than the change in my pocket at one particular time. The entire family ended up homeless and it turned out to be a colossal mistake. Now, the things that did work well is that when we made limited partnerships and relationships with our friends and had specified things that were expected of them, well, those turned out to be wonderful, wonderful relationships. But everything we did early on with our extended family was a colossal failure. So a lot of people are going to feel the need that when they get into this space, like, good night, you know, um, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I going to do? How am I going to make this all work? Okay, I know what I'll do. I'll bring other people on and we'll share the burden. And that has proven to be a colossal mistake. If they don't already have a background in this, um, you might want to rethink that. Or if they have all these wonderful ideas, but they're not willing to put foot to butt and make these things happen. Well, that should be a red flag too. Or if they are people that are, let's say, business bullies, where they got to have it this way, even though they may not have a much of a uh, a background in any of this, but they're going to want to call the shots. Don't think that you have to get other people involved, especially in the beginning, because that is proven every single time when we were fearful thinking, okay, well, I don't, I'll share this burden. I'll, you know, maybe everybody else will get on board. They surely, I know they're going to get on board when they see what we're doing here. And then you find out that no, it really doesn't work that way. And uh, that has been the biggest failing. Um, I'm sure I got a long, I could probably fill volumes with all the other um, <laughs> colossal failures that we've made. But that's the biggest one getting into it is that people are feeling like they got to get an entire collective of people out there involved to be able to be a success in this. And we didn't start seeing any real major success until we said, okay, at the time we're a family of three. We're going to make a go of it. We're going to do it with just the three of us where we know we're all in, on board here. So let's start there. And then right then and there, when we made that decision, then all of a sudden, bam, business starts, you know, everything started working out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now that's great. That's really a good advice. And I think that's something that too many people get caught up in. So um, I think that's great that you're sharing that with folks. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing your expertise, Billy. And uh, it's been um, very interesting to kind of hear your journey and how you got started, the different enterprises you got your fingers in and um, about your book. Where do you want people to go to learn about you and to follow you? Yeah, uh, one good place is, well, we all, we have a presence on YouTube. How long we'll be there? I do not know. Um, 
you know, we're working something as a sharecropper on the YouTube plantation. So I'm not sure how long that's going to be around or whether, you know, some of the things we put out there are going to be accepted in YouTube. So we have backup. You can check us out on Rumble. You can also see us over on Brighteon. Uh, that's Mike Adams' platform. You can also check us out on Patreon. You can definitely check us out on the podcast, the Permaculture Pimpcast, where we discuss all things permaculture, preparedness, and practical living. You can check us out in any one of those places. And don't forget us to, you know, to check us out at the website. If there's anything that you need that we offer, whether it's comfrey, bone sauce, rice knives, well, consultations, any of the above, we provide all those things. And um, we're willing to just evangelize this magnificent design science we call permaculture. So check us out in any of those places. All right, Billy. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, my man. You take care and blessings to you and yours. Thank you. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.